You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Good evening. Welcome to Love Logical DNA Not Required. This is Michelle L. Anderson coming to you live from Podcast Detroit Royal Oak Studios. We are looking forward to intriguing and entertaining you every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Let me start today's show by saying thank you for joining our family, which is biological by nature, love logical by choice, DNA not required. Hello, 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 everyone. This is Michelle L. Anderson with Love Logical DNA Not Required. And I welcome you here today and thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast that I enjoy doing very, very much. So tonight we have a few special guests. Um, Stacey Shannon Johnson will be back tonight since this is part two of our human sex trafficking um, awareness and Stacy will be in a little late. She's doing mommy stuff by going to her children's um, concert tonight. So she will be in later. And on the phone, I have LaQuint Rhodes, who is an advocate and former worker at a few of the human sex trafficking um, houses or organizations here within the metropolitan Detroit area. And I have a very special guest this evening, and we're going to call her Leah. <laughs> and this is the very first time that Leah is sharing her story um, publicly. She is a survivor. She is a spiritualist. She is a wife. She is a mother. She is an entrepreneur. And she is um, she's an amazing woman. And our paths were meant to come together. Very much so. So for her to be here today and sharing her story publicly for the very first time, I feel honored, very honored. And I would do everything that I possibly can not to cry because <laughs> I know how I am. Me too. And I've been, I've, been, I've been working on it. I really have. I've been working on it. So I am going to start um, with Q, LaQuint. Um, LaQuint, um, can you share a little bit about how um, you came into working for the human sex trafficking organizations that you worked for. Well, um, I started off uh, working for DBI, uh, which is a Detroit Behavior Institute. And that's when I first started working with uh, kids, troubled kids, neglect, abuse, um, you name it. And, mm-hmm. uh, I started there and so I started working with the kids and just seeing how much kids need to be understood just as much as adults. It opened up my eyes to want to uh, do further um, continuing working with them. So I ended up getting the opportunity to work for Vista Maria, which is a broader scale. They've, they've been around, they've been around for over a hundred years here, I believe. Um, and, and they just had so many different avenues of, advocating or providing services for uh especially more for girls is one is one actually is one of the percent for girls actually but mm-hmm. um girls are more affected and more they they go through way more than what not to take away from men or boys but women they you know they're they're like the birth of everything if it wasn't if it wasn't for women of course you know our kids wouldn't be here so Mm-hmm. Uh, I started working for them and working for this Maria, just seeing how much more pain, how much more issues, how much more advantage taking taking advantage of a girls out here. Just you know, they they specialize in abuse and neglect and trafficking and the whole broad scale. I think they're the biggest one of the biggest agencies to deal with um, girls um, in that avenue. And just hearing the stories of um, the different backgrounds and, and just like, you, you don't understand, I guess I really working there and like, you can't respond to these girls as you would on the street. Mm-hmm. You can't just like, they can share a story with you. You can't just, you know, just want to attack them or fight them or, or just think that that's a solution of just, 
you know, put them on punishment or, you know, however they may go about things. It's totally different when you're dealing with these type of girls because they're, they're, they're traumatized. I mean, they're, they are affected and, and they can take this for the rest of their life, you know, and, and then now looking at men and relationships, it's the experience that it's hard to love again. It's hard to overcome and achieve and be bigger and better than what um, life is destined for them to be. So as my role there, I was a team leader. Mm-hmm. And what that was is to to be over the staff, to make sure the staff is doing what they're supposed to do and not treating these girls as they're, they're not human or they're not, um, they're not, being treated the wrong way as they should, you know, because a lot of facilities, they take advantage of these kids and they, they do things that they shouldn't do. So I was one of the ones to make sure that, um, you know, communication is proper. They, you know, they've never taken, you know, take them in different rooms and, you know, and try to fight them, you know, because a lot of girls are very aggressive and very, they feel like that's the best way. The first protection is to fight or, to, mm-hmm. you know, they got to think for their way, you know, so, um, yeah, it, it takes a, it takes a lot of patience, a lot of, listening and and really just time because it you know a lot of times in these facilities they they think the story just come out like that you know they meet all these different new new workers or you know their journey is so long that you, they're meeting people left and right so you know a lot of times these expectations for the story just come out so we can hurry up and help you it doesn't happen like that like they have to feel open with you they have to feel safe they have to feel protected like and then as you see that and then and then they have to see that you're going to be around their life for a while too, because you know a lot of times they don't want to open up to you because you, you you're probably going to be here temporarily, and then you're out the door again. So it's a lot of trust issues that they deal with. But yes, yeah, it, it was a it was an experience that that made me want to continue working with uh, kids, adult, uh, teenagers, girls, and boys because of um, my experience, my personal experience of going through the system as well. So I was one of the ones that could relate to them more than the usual staff workers there. Yeah, because with you being, for those of you who had the opportunity to hear part one um, with Stacey Shannon Johnson, as well as um, last week with the blended families with um, LeQuint and his wife, Janae, they are blended family. But LeQuint was raised um, in foster care. And so you had a chance to see a lot of things that also happened within foster homes and have the opportunity to talk to kids who's run away and been through so much. And I look at you and I see that you you mentor, you reach out to the young men and everything within the city, as well as, you know, you are very compassionate when it comes to even just how you communicate with your wife and your daughters. So mm-hmm. I think that that is that part of because of what you've learned from not only just growing up within the system, but for working with um, DBI mm-hmm. and with Vista Maria. Yes, uh, yes, most most definitely. A, a lot of that did come from that. Just uh, um, I guess just having that view and and understanding that it 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 affects relationships huge especially uh in a loving relationship and a marriage marriage relationship and any type of relationship uh what you grow through it doesn't break you but it makes you stronger and uh it opens your eyes up a little broader yeah so what advice would you give as a male to to another male that's going into a relationship with a survivor, what advice would you give him? Well, I would say number one is to definitely have patience. Definitely have patience. Mm-hmm. Definitely listen uh, would be number two. And three, um, to love them unconditionally because you can't just love them from the outside. You can't just love them for what they look look like but love them um from who they are period like mistakes and all like for the whole package not just for who you you know because you can meet a, a a lady or a girl or a woman and at the moment you may think that this is what it is but underneath all of that is layers of stuff mm-hmm. and sometimes it, it comes out 
further, you know, as time goes by, you, you may hear a story today and then a month later you may hear another story. So to just be willing to love um, the woman uh, unconditionally and, and just have patience and understand because you, you, you can't, um, you can't rush anything and, and kind of, you can't love fast with a, a trauma, uh, a female that's been through trauma. So you have to take like your that. time and get to yes, know no, her. Okay. Yes. You can't be too forceful. You can't be, you can't expect high, you can't have high expectations. I, this is just my opinion. Um, but yeah, just have a lot of, a lot of patience, listen, and don't don't set high standards uh, to you know, expect that everything is going to operate on on the scale of his standards versus the uh, being will, willing to meet a lot or meet halfway because um, it says it's, it's not easy and especially if she given the opportunity to love again or to open up that door to because most time most women are vulnerable to to just be in a relationship so. Mm-hmm. And a lot of men take take advantage of that, not knowing. And a lot of women don't want to share that they've been through that. Um, but you know, but so when so they it, get it's, it's hard. so when they get to that point of trust, is basically listen. And if it's something that a man feels as if he can't handle, then more than likely at that point in time, he should step away. I w- I would definitely agree to to. If, if he can't, if, I guess it depends on the situation because if it's shared in the beginning and they are aware of that, if the mm-hmm. man is aware of what she's been through, mm-hmm. then, you know, I think that's the point right there where, where, you know, he should pick and choose to say, hey, I want to continue this journey with you and I'm, I'm here regardless. And, and hopefully that the woman is mature enough to at least know the difference to, because, it, you know, a lot of men take, take advantage of, of that circumstance or that situation. So, um, I would just suggest that the man just make that decision at that point. Don't change six months later, a year out later, or, you know, thought I can handle it. I mean, it's it's not an easy uh, easy task at all, but it has to be a special man as well. It can't be a, any ordinary man. It just, you know, it, it can't be, it, you know, he, he got to have some morals. He got to be God-fearing or something, some type of spirituality to have uh, that the upper uh, or that more strength to, to guide her in, in a direction to, to be able to, where well, she can feel trusted and, and, and covered. Okay. It's not easy. And I have another question for you, and then we're going to switch over to Leah here. Um, my other question is working within um, DBI and Vista Maria, the young ladies who are there who have been trafficked, what advice would you give their parents when it comes to trying to work with them and rebuild a relationship with their daughters, knowing that they have been severely traumatized and everything that they've been with? And other than patience, because I'm sure, you know, but other than patience um, and love, what else, what else can a parent give um during that time, and especially a love logical parent who's, you know, married to a biological parent and coming into that situation, what advice would you give? And if you can, you know, try to kind of, you know, just help, help out with that a little bit. Well, I, I would say, uh, first would be starting to build a relationship. Mm-hmm. From, you know, it's kind of like starting all over again because it's not the same from before they went through what they went through. So it would be starting that relationship, starting uh, to to um, to spend time, quality time, not just in and you know in and out, but consistent, being consistent, mm-hmm. uh, and spending and being there, being there in general, just period, not even just to have to uh, be doing anything, uh, but just being there uh, as the ear, as being present, as just. The, you know the simple things mm-hmm. uh, because you uh, as as a, a woman or anyone that goes through any, any type of trauma they they end up appreciating the simple things more than just the material because a lot of times in scenarios where a lot of a lot of times you're you're bought or you're you're you know you're you're offered this or i'm gonna give you this and promise in the world and all these things so when you get a woman that is in that case or in that in that scenario you know or even as starting off as parents to build their relationship back up again, just give that quality time that 
you know, that, that presence of, of being there first you know, and work your way up without material things. Uh, that, that would probably be my advice. I think that's actually pretty good advice. Um, you have described Leah and so much of what you what you said today, you know, even when it comes to what I've learned from her. I've just heard you kind of reiterate some of those things. And I would like to say that if you have a child, boy or girl, who has been trafficked and they are back home, number one, that within itself is a miracle. They're back home alive. Another thing is I would like to say if you are the love logical parent of a child coming home, have patience. Do not say anything negative. Listen without speaking on many things. Um, if there is a problem within the home, and this is love logical and biological, where the parents are having a difficult time coping, around mm-hmm. the child is not a place to discuss it. In the same house mm-hmm. with the child is not a place to discuss it. I would, you know, leave and go and discuss it somewhere where it cannot be overheard. You know, yeah. do not ask for that child's story to be shared over and over and over again until that child is ready to share their story. And understand that the trauma from trafficking is probably greater than any of us mm-hmm. can truly Understand, because just in reading some of the articles that I've read and listening to some of the stories that I've heard, it's so hard to imagine any child, any woman having their body taken advantage of 20 to up to sometimes 40 times a day. That's a lot, you know, and being held against their will. That's a lot. You know, and I, and I'm doing this because I have a teenage daughter and I have a five year old granddaughter. And every day there's something that I'm reading about trafficking every day and reading articles where babies, I know Stacy shared with us a few weeks ago about the babies that are being taken advantage of. You know, and so it's not just as most of us envision teenagers and women, women in general, females are being sold by family members. They're being kidnapped. They're being manipulated into, Mm -hmm. you know, into this world. And it's not a metropolitan thing. It is a United States thing. It Mm -hmm. is metropolitan. It is urban. It is suburban. It is rural. It is every possible environment or community that you can think of. So please do not ever have the mindset that it's not happening where we live. Because I was talking to a gentleman today um, who was telling me that the the nonprofit organization that his wife runs, they just got a young lady from Rochester, Michigan. That's where I live. My daughter had a close call in Rochester, Michigan a few months ago. So it's it's happening. It's happening out here on a daily basis. And they were saying that about every few minutes, somebody is being um moved into trafficking be it and the majority of the time it's involuntary because when young women are being approached they feel as if the people have good intentions and then mm-hmm. as that approach you know as 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 they you know go out with someone leave the house with someone there's a trust that's normally there even when in a kidnapping situation a lot of times there may be a trust that's there so i am um, stacy just stepped in and i'm not sure if she's actually had a chance to hear but stacy this is leah Hi. leah Hi. this nice is stacy shannon johnson so those of you who um and this is jessica our engineer yes. <laughs> <laughs> so 
just um I just I don't know. I just want us to realize that it takes a village. And there is a video that is on Facebook and I sent it to a few of my people. I put it on my page, on my Love Logical page, where they're telling workers, utility workers how to pay attention because they get inside of people's homes and everything else. So what to look for. So I'm going to put that back up again, and I really would like you all to watch it. But I want to introduce you to Leah. And for those of you um, who are just coming in, I want you to understand Leah is not on camera. This is her first time sharing her story. And I want her to be comfortable with sharing her story for the first time. There are many people who may know her, but don't know her story yet. And when she's ready to share that with you individually or she's ready to share her face, that's when the time comes. But today, um, she's vulnerable today, and I am proud of her. And I feel as if it was just meant for us to be in each other's lives. Thank you. So, Leah, would you like to share your story? Sure. Um, well, I was... Uh, born to my mother (laughs) (laughs) and she was on drugs um and she um she was promiscuous um my father and my mother came from two very different backgrounds my father was blue collar Mm -hmm. and my mother was um from detroit hamtramck okay she was she was hood wise and um so when I was three years old, my I ended up going with my grandmother on my dad's side mm-hmm. um, after I was molested um, with my mother. And so from there, um, my grandmother was was very old school. Mm-hmm. She was a proud black woman and she um, we didn't talk about stuff like that. So um a lot of that trauma began to fester over the years um, and it grew and it grew. Um, and then she couldn't handle me. After, you know, she had her business as she was running. So then my father, he took custody of me mm-hmm. um, and he he tried really hard to raise a traumatized child, <laughs> but he didn't know how. Um, and so eventually I ended up into the system um, and um, I and one of the reasons why I made a comment earlier is some, sometimes um, I moved from place to place. It was almost too much to remember the names of each institution. But I know I was not uh, I was not, I did not qualify for foster care. That's how um, I want to say bad because I don't like to, I don't like to think anybody's bad inherently. But um, that's how troubled I was. How old were you? Um, I was 10 going on 11. OK, Um when I was 10, before I was taken away, um, it kind of, everything toppled over. I spent a summer with my mother. My mother was severely mentally ill. Okay. Um, and she had no uh, perception of boundaries. Um, and she was, I think, and I don't, I'm not a doctor, but reflecting back on that time, mm-hmm. she was suffering from maybe some paranoid schizophrenia. Okay. Um, and uh, she inadvertently molested me so in the process of trying to show me how to masturbate um, she had some boundary crossing uh, moments and there was a moment where she kind of had a breakdown and um, she tied me down to the bed she said that's how when she was institutionalized in uh, psychiatric hospitals when she was out of control they would tie her down to the bed Mm -hmm. and so here I am this 10 year old when you know that's hyper and I'm have behavioral issues and so she ties me down to the bed um and after that i just my father couldn't handle me once i came home i was just off you know and so he he would stay gone um and cps finally got called um and they came and took me Mm -hmm. so um and i ended up at children's village um from there and from group home to group home until i finally got into juvenile um, many places that I went were um, horrible, and then many of the the places, group homes, um, um, et cetera, were were decent. Um, and but I want to touch on what the gentleman said. Mm-hmm. What is his name again? <laughs> Q. Q. Um, how when you're in a state of trauma, it's hard to receive anything. 
Mm-hmm. So patience is um, is literally a virtue with anybody who's been traumatized. Because I think back when I was a child, there was nothing anybody could say to me. Mm-hmm. I was angry. And, um, you know, so I, it was almost virtually impossible for me to receive any type of support until I was ready to receive it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went, like I said, I went through Vista Maria. And then finally, when I was um, 17 going on 18, I was booted out of the system. Mm-hmm. Um, my funding was sh- cut short. And um, I went through homelessness. And um, I traveled a lot. <laughs> um, and finally, after that, um, I found myself in Atlanta. Um, to backtrack, though, uh, from to my first experience um, with human trafficking. Um, it was when I was 13. I had ran away from a group home on the east side. Um, it was a horrible group home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I met a man. Um, he called himself D. And um, I needed somewhere to stay. So like you said, nine times out of ten, um, the person who's manipulating a young lady presents himself or herself as um a means to accommodate, mm-hmm. you know, and so I needed somewhere to stay, and then I thought he was my boyfriend. So I was thirteen, going on fourteen, and I thought this twenty-eight year old was my boyfriend. Um, and so then, after maybe a couple weeks, that's when he introduced um, the concept of um, selling myself for money. Um, and then from there, um, you know, my my family finally found me on my mom's side. Um, that didn't last long because, you know, people who, um, who don't understand, uh, the whole dynamic of what's going on with the human trafficking, mm-hmm. um, and especially in the city of Detroit, there's, there's an element of shame that's attached to, um, you know, that it's, it's called hoeing. It's not human trafficking. So growing up, I was under the impression I was a hoe. I was under the impression that I was shameful and um, disgraceful and um, nasty. You know, these are words that I was called by Mm -hmm. my mom's side of the family when they found out um, what I was doing. And um, I remember one time speaking with my sister and she said, um, you know, you liked it. If you if you really wanted to, you know, um, get out of it, you would have found us. And I remember thinking back on that conversation when I got older, like, you know, I I was institutionalized all my life. When mm-hmm. I when I was released from the system, driving in a car was foreign to me. It was it was I remember every three months we would go um to my court date mm-hmm. and that's it. That's my experience in a car for years. And so the concept of knowing where I was, um I'm directional literate as a, as a, an adult. So <laughs> as a child who had been institutionalized, yes. knowing how to get to Hamtramck from the east side of Detroit was like algebra <laughs> at that point. And so some of these concepts, um, they're foreign to people who don't understand them right. um, and how the impact that words have on a child who um, who didn't want to do no child wants to do that. Right. A child wants um, gratitude. No, a child wants to be accepted. They want a warm place to sleep. But a child wants support and love. And um, I think at that time in my life, I knew to get what was anything, um, any resemblance of that, mm-hmm. I had to do what I was doing. Um, and so then, to fast forward back when I was. Um, 17 going on 18 released from the system um i ended up in atlanta and that's when i started um professionally mm-hmm. uh, i was a professional escort what i called myself okay um with my pimp and i was working he found me in the the barber shop um i was doing hair mm-hmm. and he was very i think he's he was the most um intelligent man i've ever met mm-hmm. and even at 31 i could honestly say i could look back and say he's the most intelligent man i had ever met and that's how he was able to beguile mm-hmm. um the way so i knew i knew what um what he wanted from me but he made it sound uh he made that shit sound like candy okay <laughs> so okay. excuse my language no that's okay. he, he, so he knew it. how to dress yes, right. he knew how to dress it yeah. so um there was no he didn't 
he didn't manipulate me um, and mislead me or trick me into going to Las Vegas or anything. Um, I knew what the situation at that point when I was 18 was. And, um, you know, but that was what I was conditioned to believe love was as well or um, family was, you know, anything related to love or anything related to um, a cohesive relationship involved sexual bartering. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I grew up and have been conditioned to to believe. So sorry, I'm that's no, 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 no. You're doing you're doing just fine. Like Wonderful. I said, it's the first time you're yes. sharing your story. Wonderful. So you said that you were working at the barbershop in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So he basically smooth talked you. Oh yeah, he was smooth. He was very smooth. <laughs> and did he did it start off as like a part time job? No, he. I knew said, what he was when I saw him. Okay. I was in a, I was homeless. I was working in the barbershop. Um, quite frankly, sorry. Um, I was working in the barbershop and I, um, I saw him and I saw him with his, if, if excuse my language, his, yeah. what they call it, a bottom bitch. Okay. And, um, I knew who she was and he had a, another girl with him. Um, and he gave, they had fur coats on, just like the movies. Mm-hmm. I'm a, mm-hmm. a little bit less tacky. Um, and he gave them some money to go shopping, um, right in front of the peach drop. And so I flirted with him. Um, and then he presented his, uh, he presented what his, he, he was doing to me. And, um, and I, I think I, I acted like I didn't, but that, you know, like I said, that, that was the conditioning that, that was what was acceptable for my lifestyle back then. Um, and then when I got with him, um, and I started experiencing <clears throat> the real, uh, <laughs> the real mm-hmm. lifestyle, not like what I experienced when I was 13, right. but, um, just he, we would go out to eat and we had nice things and we were, you know, we drove nice cars and I was stripping in a strip club and that's how I pulled a lot of my dates. Um, and they paid good money. Um, I would come home at night and I would feel depleted. I would feel, um. You know, I, I guess the only way I could describe it is I, I felt like a zombie. Mm-hmm. I felt empty. I didn't feel bad or good, but I knew I didn't like not feeling anything. Mm-hmm. And so I remember being in the bathroom one day, and um, and I took a pregnancy test. I had snuck and bought a pregnancy test because I had missed my period. Mm-hmm. And I found out I was pregnant, and I got in the shower, and I remember just closing my eyes and trying to cry, but I couldn't cry. I knew I wanted to cry. I Mm -hmm. knew that the feeling that I had inside of me was cry, but that's how numb I was to everything. And I knew I I just didn't want to be that person. Um, And so um, after that, I had to tell him I was pregnant um, and I assumed he would let me go because I, you know, I was going to use, I didn't want a baby, of course, Mm -hmm. but I was going to use the child as a way out. Mm -hmm. And excuse me. Mm. I was like, pop a drinker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I told myself I was going to stop drinking pop. Um, and so when um, he said that there, it wasn't an option to leave and that I would have to get an abortion. And so for the next two weeks, I was in a dog cage. Um, he kept me in that dog cage and assuming that it would, you know, change my mind. But it didn't. I, I knew my way out was my daughter. Um, and so... Virtually, I guess you could say my my daughter saved my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, so he, after that, he gave me a hundred dollars after the thousands of dollars I had made him, <laughs> and um, and I was on my way. And I came back up here, um, and I gave my daughter up for adoption. Uh, it was one of the hardest things I had I did, um, but I knew that I wasn't ready to be a mother. And I, and I was scared. I think I was more scared than, I don't want to even, I, I could say I knew I wasn't ready to be a mother and be ho- ho- heroic. Yes. But I was scared. I was scared of being a mother. I thought about my mother and I'm like, golly, you know, that's, okay. mm-hmm. is that what I'm genetically tied to? I don't want to be that. I know my mother wasn't, you know, 18, 19 and didn't think she was going to be crazy <laughs> and abuse her children and, so those were the things running through my mind. And so I gave her up um, to a really nice family. And um, and after that, I went through a lot, a lot of up and down. Um, 
I went through a lot of depression after mm-hmm. giving her up. Um, I tried to commit suicide. I tried to get her back. I was when I called to try to reverse what I had done. I was two days past the thirty day mark. Okay, that this is what the adoption agency had told me that I was two days past the thirty day mark for being able to um, reverse it. I don't know how true that was mm-hmm. <laughs> in the state of Michigan, but um, and so at that point, I, I had nothing. I really didn't have any family support. I had some friends, but um, nothing like like how you should have as a young woman. You mm-hmm. should have that person that you can call um, no matter what, and I really didn't have that. So, um, you know, that and that was, you know, a lot of different hurdles from there on, and uh that's about it. <laughs> but now you have. Oh, don't cry. <laughs> your story is uh, remarkable. Thank you. I admire you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When she told me you about are a the warrior. dog cage. Thank you. You are a warrior. You are. And I mean, I see great things. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if I can talk about yes. the Lord here. but You can. I yes. see God doing great things in your life. And whether you write, write a book, if you ever decide to do that one day or a movie or whatever, or go and speak into different schools. But I see God doing big things. The best is yet to come. Mm -hmm. And you are a warrior. And uh, I see you sounding the alarm. And um, a lot of people can be touched by your story to change some things around. But you are definitely a, um, a sign of hope. Thank you. Because what was meant to destroy you, Made her strong. Made you strong. Yes. Yeah. A little meaner, but yeah, stronger. <laughs> You're not mean. <laughs> I get it. I get it. When you when I first mm-hmm. met you, mm-hmm. your um for lack of a better word, your aura is bright. You know, and when you learned about love logical, DNA not required. You became emotional mm-hmm. because you were you understood right away, right away, and you shared how the majority of your family is love logical. Oh yeah, all you my know? all my family. Yeah, <laughs> all my, my who I consider family mm-hmm. is um they're they're most of them are my clients mm-hmm. <laughs> that I've had or um. They're my neighbors or just people that I found or found me. So, and your your husband mm-hmm. is a wonderful, kind-hearted oh, God, yes. man, <laughs> and you have two beautiful daughters. Yeah, beautiful. And you have love logical within your family, mm-hmm. and to have a man love you as is, as he does. Oh, he deals with my mess. <laughs> oh, boy. Just like Q was saying. He, yeah. Oh, he deals with my mess. And then I look back after the mess and I'll be like, oh, he dealt with that mess. <laughs> but he loves, he, he loves, loves your me. mess. Yeah, he does. And he's so patient and he's so kind. Mm-hmm. And I'll slew out my mess sometimes. <laughs> and he'll just afterwards, he'll be like, okay, big head, I love you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mind sharing how the two of you met? I know we're not going to say his name, but can you can you share how you met? Uh, he found my wallet. <laughs> he mm. found my wallet, and then um, he t- he told me he said he when he saw my name on my ID, he just knew I used my real name on Facebook, so he found me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, I don't know. It's just we were friends. We've been best friends ever since, and. Um, I was pregnant when I met him, mm-hmm. and uh, he was there for the birth of my daughter. Um, not not my first daughter, mm-hmm. my um, my Lauren, mm-hmm. <laughs> my Lauren. Um, he was there for her birth, and um, he's been her dad ever since. He's her daddy. He's her he's daddy. Her, yes. yes. She her first word was daddy, and she screamed it because he walked away out the room, uh-huh. <laughs> and she got mad. She's like, "Come back, daddy." <laughs> I'm like, did she just talk? <laughs> so yeah, so um, yeah, and he's an awesome father. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because people will see her, and he's so he's so fluent with her mm-hmm. that people will be like, oh, your daughter looks just like you, and he'll smile like, yes, yeah, she does. 
<laughs> yeah. You know, it's just wonderful. to watch mm-hmm. your family mm-hmm. is a blessing. It really is. To watch the love. Your girls are so intelligent. Thank you. You know, mm-hmm. highly intelligent. When do you think, at what age do you think you'll be comfortable sharing your story with your daughters? Um, they, they're really, you said they're highly intelligent. Yeah. I think you did not lie because they ask me questions. Mm-hmm. They know that my, um, who I call my mom mm-hmm. was actually my next door neighbor. And so they'll ask me questions about my biological mom. And so I'm, I'm honest with them to the extent that they can handle. Mm-hmm. So they ask me, um, they ask me what happened to my mom. I said, she's, she passed away. She's mm-hmm. in heaven. Um, and so, you know, they, they know, they understand that, um, my, who I call mom isn't my biological, if, if that matters. Yeah. She's your love logic. She's mom. my love. She's actually, um, she's been, she was my next door neighbor when I was living with my dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was my inspiration for the domes. Mm-hmm. I told you she mm-hmm. used to take me to Belle Isle and she would take me. Um, she loved plants. She still loves plants. Mm-hmm. And um, she would take me there. And it was my place of a serenity. It was my serenity. It was my place of peace. I had a peace of mind there. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I, I gather all, even people throughout um, my childhood in the system people uh staff members mm-hmm. um and i wanted to say this for q2 because your your relationship or your role as a um a staff member or team leader at vista maria is very pivotal because we i i can look back at some miss bessie miss mm-hmm. oh miss bessie yeah. she shaped my character miss <laughs> 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 um, jason uh these are people these were my parents mm-hmm. growing up wow. And so, you know, but they wouldn't have thought that when I was, because when I was younger, when I was a teenager, it was F you, stop Mm -hmm. talking to me. (laughs) But, you know, I'm older now and I could could look back and I'm like, oh, where would I be without them? And they were all, imagine growing up around a whole bunch of psych Mm -hmm. majors, Mm -hmm. who you become. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Psych majors and, you know, therapists. My mama, you ain't my daddy. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm a little bit of all of them. I think I because I I hear myself. You know how you say you sound like your daddy. You sound mm-hmm. like your mother. I sound like my the staff members who raised me. <laughs> I read the same books that Mr. Jason reads. <laughs> really? Yeah, and I'm I have Miss Bessie's attitude, and I have Dr. Miller's insight, and I have you know. All of these, Mr. Wayne's compassion. So thank you, Vista Maria. Yes. Well, no, um, Havenwick. Havenwick. <laughs> okay. Okay. Havenwick. Vista Maria. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure it's much better now. Yes. But when I was there, um, I and I, like I said, I was very abrasive, mm-hmm. so I didn't receive a lot. But Havenwick broke me down. Okay. Um, Havenwick Residential mm-hmm. and the people there are are awesome or they at least they were awesome i can't speak for (laughs) so how long have you been out of the system leah well i was 17 going on 18 um i had left havenwick and went back to vista maria um and i didn't stay there long they my funding was cut short Mm -hmm. so um and then i was on the streets after that and once you um once you got away how basically how would your daughter be now uh, she'll be 11th, um, July 22nd. So you've only been out of the trafficking, um, Marina for 11 years. Mm-hmm. That's not long. Yeah. That's not long at all. Wow. Wow. I didn't, I never looked at it like that. <laughs> it's not long. Yeah. And look how much you hope you can. Yeah. But. Yeah. But yeah, but uh, the healing. Twelve, twelve years. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was pregnant for about nine months. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I can see so much healing. Yeah, I, you know, um, if I didn't know that, I would not have ever known because of the where you are now, your healing, and you know, I don't think you're a lying woman. I don't think no, you because no. I see a healed, yes. and wonderful whole woman. I do, I, I do. I don't see, you know. 
Yeah. And my husband told me mm. to say my name and be proud about it. Because mm. I told him, I said, I was going to come here. I'm not about to say my name mm. <laughs> in front of people mm. and tell my story. But he told me, he texted me before I got out the car. And he said, say your name and be proud because you're strong. Mm-hmm. You be are proud very of strong. Your name. So my name, yeah. if if it's okay. Oh, it's, it's yeah, okay. Yeah, it's Leandra King. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, that's that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I am. Um, I'm stubborn. And I was, it was funny because he was like, he was like, you could do it. I'm like, be quiet. (laughs) Because I told her that I would protect her. Yeah. And have her off camera. Oh Oh, my goodness. (laughs) No. (laughs) Leandra and her husband are going to make Detroit a much better place for us. Oh, you're going to make me cry. (laughs) Yes. Yes. They really are. Yes. You know, and. You have, I mean, she she has a nonprofit organization, and she is she's doing so much, so many wonderful things. Yeah. And um, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. She <laughs> yeah, both of us. Yeah. Thank I'm so you. proud of you, and you all would not believe that this relationship came about. Because my son found her nonprofit organization and he took me to her. We went to her together and she and I ended up talking and we were talking about Love Logical, which she immediately embraced. And then um, later on, we were talking about the podcast and I told her what my topic was for today. And I said that I was looking for a survivor to speak and she says I'm a survivor and that's how the whole conversation started she Mm -hmm. shared her story and um, (laughs) thank you (laughs) I am so proud of you this is like a milestone in your life is a breakthrough and to be able to, to do it here with me I truly appreciate that. I I still have a lot of healing. You do. No. And but I I want to make that that clear. I don't got it all together. No, <laughs> baby steps. Have, yeah. Baby steps, but you just you just went from toddling around or holding on to the table. You just let go and walked across the room. <laughs> you know, yeah. you got your stride right on. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Blew me away. Blew me away. You got yeah. your stride right on. So um, I didn't expect this. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't expect this at all. You know, I was trying to figure out, you know, I, I didn't want to put her name out there. So, you know, and I couldn't, I didn't want to say Leon, you know, or Leo and Leah because Leandra mm-hmm. is, you know, and I knew that it was meant because her father walked in while we were together and I could see so much of my uncle and my mother's family and her father. Mm-hmm. And I showed her a picture and she was like, oh, my goodness, yes. Yep. <laughs> and then I told her his name was Leon. And then she told me, well, you know, my name is Leandra. Mm-hmm. So it was like so much that this conversation brought. I am so proud of you. You Thank have you. a way of just connecting some of the most beautiful women. You have a way of connecting people. They come to me. You do. He, you he have, you are them a to magnet. Me. Well, my my husband was talking about you this morning. He was like, mm-hmm. "You and that awesome woman." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, "That awesome." What's her name? I said, "Michelle." Mm-hmm. He's like, "Man, I wish there were more women out there like her." I appreciate <laughs> it. Sometimes I wonder. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I just I just wonder. You know, it's just I don't know. I don't know what the outcome's going to be. I really don't. But my goal is to make a, a huge impact in this world. You, you know, you because are. I am a survivor of molestation. Me too. I've been raped. <laughs> I am a survivor of domestic abuse. I am a survivor of I got hit by a suburban <laughs> as a pedestrian and I've lived. I have survived so much. I have survived 
losing almost everything that I've ever owned, you know, and right now I'm going through things that I'm not ready to share yet, but even now I'm going through things and I listened as I was sharing with you. I remember something that Will Smith said, and he said that there's only success on the other side of fear. And I just keep getting up. I don't let anything keep me down. I just keep getting up, you know, and it's harder than what people realize. Yeah. You know, because I've been through so much and I'm an empath. So I, I take on a lot of people's hurts for them. And then I go to the water and I kind of like release all this pain into nature. <laughs> but I really, truly believe in family. And I truly believe that DNA, I believe in DNA not required. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I have mentored and loved and did so much for my entire life, but I saw it. My mother instilled this in me. I watched my mother when we had foster children. I watched her mentor their parents. I've watched my mother love so many kids that she didn't birth. So that's exactly who I've become. You know, that's exactly who I've become. And people don't realize that I'm not really making any money off of Love Logical. Right. And most most of everything that I've done, I do out of my pocket. Um, I have people volunteer their time. And prayerfully, there'll come a time that I will make the money that I need to make. You know, but right now, it's not going anywhere. You know, it's not going anywhere. When you see my shirts that say family, DNA not required, that's who your family is. Right. You know, this this right here is my sister. I call I'll call Stacy in a heartbeat when something is going on and I need to talk, I'll call her. You know? And she knows that if she needs me, I'm there. And I know that if I need her, she's there. That's beautiful. You know? And today I'm on the board of Save the Pearls, which is a, you know, it's a, a fairly new human sex trafficking and, you know, trauma organization, trauma awareness organization. And I have met so many good women in Save the Pearls, but I didn't realize how many human sex trafficking awareness organizations there are out here. I don't know. Um, Today, I met a gentleman, and he is the husband of Deb Ellinger of Ellie's House. And Ellie's House, they're having a gala on June the 13th at 6 o'clock. And it's at the Edison Boat Club. I'm going to put this information up, but if you go on Eventbrite, and put in Ellie's house is E-L-L-I apostrophe S mm-hmm. house gala and pull up the information because let's support. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. support. Vista Maria is very known, but Sanctum House, yeah, um, Sanctum House, yeah. um, Edith, I'm sorry, your last name isn't coming to the top of my head, but Edith is the founder and creator of Sanctum House. Mm-hmm. And she's out here fighting for human sex trafficking mm-hmm. victims as well. Mm-hmm. You know, then you have the Well of Waterfit, Waterford, and that's with Dana Bosnick, Bostwick. And at the well, many young ladies who have been um, rescued out of trafficking gets to go to the well and spend day, <clears throat> spend a day there, you know, and just to be able to be within themselves. So... There, there are so many organizations out here and, you know, let's, let's open our hearts and support these organizations. Mm-hmm. And with Save the Pearls, I, I know that we want to really connect with some of the organizations that are out here. And Stacy Shannon Johnson, Stacy speaks to your children in the Detroit public school system. Mm-hmm. Stacy's also open to other school systems 
within the metropolitan area. And I want to have a symposium within the suburbs um, because so many of our young ladies are being trafficked. They're being taken out of the suburbs. They're being haunted through social media. They're being haunted at the stores. Um, I had someone try to hunt my daughter in Walgreens in Rochester Hills. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad it was put on my heart to go up there and meet her at Walgreens that night. But then he had the audacity to tell the cashier to let her know that he was interested in waiting for her outside. Wow. And she had no idea who he was. Mm -hmm. So it was I was glad that I went up there, you know, and to make sure that he didn't follow her home or anything. And he actually had been in there earlier in the day with a young lady who spent an hour in the bathroom crying. And we talk. I talked to the people at Walgreens and told them in the, in the future, you have a situation where there's a man coming in with a young lady and she spends an hour in the bathroom crying and she shared with them that he wouldn't take her home. Mm. and he you know he left and then he came back and then he kept he promised her he would take her home and the young lady seemed hesitant to leave with him and I was like why didn't you call the police and they said right. we thought about it but you know and then she had even asked my daughter did you know the young lady he was here with earlier today and my daughter was like I don't know him you know <laughs> I don't right. know the young lady and it just, it bothered me because even the teachers shared that it's a hunting ground. Our kids go to the malls, they go to the movies, they go to the grocery store, they go wherever. Even women who are alone, it, it's not just teenagers that's being trafficked now. Young adults. It's young adults. Yeah. Young men. Young men, Teenage young women. Boys, yeah. You know, and. Who are mentally ill. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Be cautious. And I thought that this was going to be the it with part two. But no, I think, no, so. I think, I think we'll that we're going to have part three yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. there's so much out here that needs to be shared. When you're reading that this has become the new drug dealer mm -hmm. in the United States yeah. for children mm -hmm. under the age of one mm -hmm. all the way up to young adults. Mm -hmm. We have to be careful. We're scared for our kids to even just do anything alone now. You have to be careful where your friends, where your kids are going to spend the night at friends' houses. Yeah. Because you don't know what's going on there. I had a lady, young lady tell me that she was trafficked while going to spend the night and hang out at a friend's house. Wow. So, and I, I'm having dinner with her um, one day soon and... She will be on here as well. You met you met Carla at when I had my um my event, um, the vendor event. She had the book there. Yes. Yeah. So definitely. Um, Stacy. This has been incredible. Uh so nice to meet you. I'm I really want to learn more about your nonprofit as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh uh, you have truly touched my heart deeply. Thank you. you have. I want to turn, I wrote a play called A Dream Deferred, but I, I want to turn it into a movie. Um, but I definitely would like to um, sit down and, and engage with you more uh, whenever you, you want sure. to Absolutely. get into that. It's nothing right away, but uh, you've really, really touched my heart about uh, with your testimony. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Q, do you have anything you'd like to end with quickly? I just want to say uh, thank you for having me. And parents, please be aware and around your kids. Be mindful. Don't just give them a phone and let them run off. Like, be watch that. Get that phone. You know, be in their lives and see what they're doing. Because we can either get distracted by, by thinking they're okay and they're not. Yes, that's true. That's true. I was told that, you know, we need to. Start looking at different things. And parents, as I mentioned last week, go into your kids' phones, Google and figure out how to undelete the things that have been deleted on their phones. Um, there's no such thing as prying into your child's life to where they should have complete privacy because the only way that you're going to know what's going on is if you find it sometimes. 
And if you have that that sense of there's something going on, usually there is. So, and our our kids are very trusting. So, watch out for your kids, and we will be back soon um, with part three yes. because yes, this is a, a very necessary conversation, and I think that all biological and love logical parents need to hear this. But love logical parents, your patience and your heart and your love mean so much more. Um, than the biological because you sometimes can make a connection that those biological parents can't, you know, because sometimes they can look at you in a different light. So open up your ears as your heart is open. And I'm going to go out saying thank you. And remember, we're all family. Mm -hmm. And with family... DNA not required. Thank you.